Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 353. Today's big Bible question is, what songs do they sing in heaven, plus one of the greatest mission endeavors in history? Well, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. As I type this, our little area of Central California, where the Bible Reading Podcast bunker is located in Monterey County, has joined with the other parts of Central and Northern California in a brand new lockdown. COVID is absolutely demolishing California, especially Los Angeles, and your prayers are greatly appreciated. Our readings today begin with 2 Chronicles 16, then Zechariah 1, John 4, and Revelation 5. Honestly, this is one of those days in Bible reading where we could do a whole podcast on every chapter. In Zechariah, we will learn a lot about angels, including that they can ride horses, apparently, uh, which is, I think is further evidence that angels don't have wings. Cherubim and seraphim do, but the Bible never says angels have wings, and the Bible seems to consider cherubim and seraphim as separate uh, beings at, from angels. So Zechariah is a pretty fascinating book, one of the most spiritual books in the Old Testament, lots of visions and all sorts of interesting things going on there. It contains almost 10% of the mentions of the word angel in the entire Bible. Uh, John 4 features Jesus' visit to Samaria, where he basically puts on a clinic about how to speak to a lost person about uh, himself about how to speak to a lost person about truth. And then in Second Chronicles 16, we actually see something that's really pretty heartbreaking. In our chapter from yesterday, we were introduced to King Asa, who was wholehearted for God and who led the people in this tremendous revival until late in his life, where he trusted in the king and armies of the Arameans to deliver his people from a coming attack rather than trusting in God. Now, for this misstep, God sent a seer to confront Asa. We read about it in Second Chronicles 16, 7-10, which says, At that time, the seer Hanani came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from you. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord, listen to this verse, fast, great verse. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. Now, Asa was enraged with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this. Wow. Sadly, Asa responded terribly to discipline and utterly refused it. It would seem that Asa forgot the wisdom of his forefather Solomon, who said in Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Hating the righteous Discipline of the Lord, getting angry about it and resenting it when you or I are chastised for doing wrong can honestly lead to a dangerous and extreme hardness of heart. Asa followed God for almost three dozen years, seemingly wholeheartedly until this incident, and it doesn't appear that Asa fully repented at the end of his life either, because verse 12 says, in the 39th year of King Asa's reign, he developed a disease in his feet and his disease became increasingly severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but only the physicians. Now, let this be a cautionary tale for us, brothers and sisters. The right response when we are disciplined by God is repentance, not anger, 
or punishing the messenger. And let me be clear, it is okay, biblically speaking, to go to the doctor. The danger is trusting in doctors alone and not trusting in the Lord. So also note here in this passage how the Bible utterly refuses again and again and again, Old Testament, New Testament, to present us with legendary figures who are heroic in their virtue. Again and again, over and over, we see in the Word of God that all humans have sin in the deepest parts of their being and thus have great need of a Savior. And I think this is a demonstration of the integrity of the Bible. Even the great heroes of the Bible are presented to us, uh, with Jesus as the one exception. The heroes of the Bible are presented to us as sinful, greatly in need of salvation. Well, our focus today primarily is on Revelation chapter 5, which might give us one of the clearest glimpses into heaven and the afterlife in the entire Bible. So let's read it and then discuss it. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain or slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So in the beginning of the chapter, God is on his throne. He's holding a scroll. It's sealed with uh, seven wax seals. And nobody, nobody is found who can even look inside the scroll to see what was written except for Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. He's the only one that can open the scroll. That fact causes this incredible celebration in heaven because this scroll will unleash the beginning of the end and the return of Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. But make no mistake, when each seal of this scroll is going to be opened, bad things will happen to bad people on the earth. But before that happens, we have this amazing celebration of praise in heaven and we get to hear one of the songs of heaven which says you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. And my friends, the theology of this song, the depth 
of truth in this song is just utterly astounding. It starts off with the words, you are worthy. What a wonderful beginning. Jesus is worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, to begin the beginning of the end, to end history and bring us into a new era of eternity. Why is he worthy? Because he was killed, he was slaughtered, and with his blood, he purchased people from God for God, not just Israelite people, not just white people, not just rich and wealthy or smart or beautiful people, but people from every tribe and language and people and nation. The kingdom of God is not one particular color or socioeconomic class. They are people purchased by Jesus, by his blood from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. And then here it is. Jesus made us into a kingdom and priests to our God. And one more wonderful bit of truth. We will reign on the earth. So we're going to be part of a kingdom. We're going to be reigning, those of us in Christ, not because we're great, but because he purchased us and washed us with his blood. And now we are priests, not just the pastors among us, but all followers of Jesus have been made priests for God, a royal priesthood, no less, by the purchase of Jesus. What a wonderful song. And right after this comes this even greater celebration where countless thousands upon thousands all singing that the Lamb is worthy. It's just wonderful. It's one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. Revelation 4 and 5, you get down this week, you get worried this week, whatever, read it again and again and again. See it, picture it, feel it, get it in your heart and mind what's going on here because this is where we're heading in history and it's so wonderful. It reminds me of one of my very favorite stories in all of church history, the story of Hernhut and Count Zinzendorf and a man named uh, Leonard Dobert and David Nitschmann. Now, Count Zinzendorf was a wealthy young aristocrat that was born in the early 1700s that owned land in Hernhut, Saxony, Germany. Even as a child, this guy has had his heart turned toward Jesus in an unusually passionate way, especially for a nobleman. As he grew older, Zinzendorf became more and more inflamed with passion to see other people come to Jesus. He married and he and his wife had 12 children, which is a lot, take it from a guy with five, but that did not diminish either of their fires for mission. In the early 1720s, a group of persecuted Moravians who were basically proto-Protestant believers, came to his estate, remember he was rich, and they were seeking asylum. And they were led by a guy named Christian David. Now Zinzendorf gladly gave them asylum, and Christian David traveled no less than 10 times back into Moravia, getting more and more refugees to come and live on the land of this rich noble Zinzendorf until there were 300-ish people living on his land, all of them believers in Jesus, but all of them coming from very different backgrounds. Some were Lutherans, some were Calvinists, some were Separatists, some were Brethren, some were Puritans, some were Anabaptists, some were even Catholics. And that's a huge deal. So all these people living 300 of them living on the grounds of this one rich guy, Zinzendorf. Now, in 1726, the community was splintered and going through a real, real crisis. 
They all believe different things about the Bible and about Jesus. Not hugely different, but different enough. These are different denominations, uh, really even more separated than that in a lot of ways. And they squabbled and fought like crazy. There was a false teacher in their midst who had been mistreated by the Lutherans, and ultimately he ended up preaching that Count Zinzendorf was the Antichrist. And even Christian David, the guy who initially brought all those these refugees onto Zinzendorf's land, was persuaded that Zinzendorf might just be the Antichrist. Well, how did Zinzendorf handle this? Well, with humility and prayer. He went house to house, camp to camp, settlement to settlement, all across his land, and prayerfully pastored the people through the word and through praying with them. And within about a year of that crisis, unity happened. August 13, 1727, a Wednesday morning communion gathering of many of them ignited a revival of love and unity and harmony among this splintered group. Through the experiences of the preceding weeks, one of the Members said all the exiles had been humbled under an intense conviction of their own sin and spiritual helplessness, not other sins, their own sin, which caused them to begin esteeming others more than themselves. As the Bible says, this mutual kindness and affection was even more striking considering the great conflict the settlement had just weathered. The spirit of conviction that had come upon these Moravians and the deepening humility and love that it led to seemed to touch the very heart of the Holy Spirit in such a way that he could not help but pouring out his power on them. Well, two weeks after this communion where there was a revival of unity, 24 men and 24 women of this community covenanted together to begin to pray one hour a day together around the clock. In other words, there was always going to be one man and one woman praying in this prayer meeting around the clock. This prayer meeting went on night and day, uninterrupted for a long time. And I would uh, like to ask you to guess how long. Um, And if you've never heard this before, it went on night and day, uninterrupted. One of the members of this community had a prayer meeting that lasted over not a hundred hours, not a hundred days, not a hundred months, a hundred years. This community had a prayer meeting that lasted over a hundred years. And as I say that, I realize I've never studied about what caused the ending of that prayer meeting, and that gives me something to go do. They had a 100-year-long uninterrupted prayer meeting. Now, five years after this house of prayer was established, Johann Dober and David Nitschmann were stirred by Zinzendorf and the testimony of a black man named Ulrich who had seen many slaves living on the West Indies Islands near the Americans the Americas to sell themselves into slavery to carry the gospel to these plantations on all of these islands around America. So ultimately, this small community of like 300-ish Moravians were like the first modern missions movement. They sent out missionaries into these unreached countries, and they ultimately baptized over 13 thousand converts in these islands before any other Christian missionary shown up. By 1742, the community had sent out over 70 missionaries to five continents. At this time, they had grown to a community of 600, and that community of 600 sent out 70 missionaries to five continents 
in the 1740s, before the revolution in America. Well, Dober, Johann Dober and uh, David Nitschmann wanted to go. They were the first. They wanted to go to the West Indies to take the gospel to them, but they weren't allowed to. There was no way to get in. The, the plantation owners were not allowing any sort of missionaries on their soil because, you know, what happens if the the slaves convert to Jesus. Well, maybe they get some ideas about freedom and liberty and those sorts of things. And so these evil men wanted no missionaries to come there. And so what happened? These guys became as slaves themselves. They sold themselves into slavery to go off to the West Indies and to befriend these people and preach the gospel to them. They boarded a ship to head off and share the gospel with these slaves hundreds of miles across the ocean thinking they might not ever see their family and friends again. And it it is said that as their ship pulled away from the docks and their families uh, were waving goodbye to them for the last time, they thought, now eventually they did come back, but it could have been for life at this point. One of the men, looking at their family and loved one, raised his hands and called out to their loved ones, quoting from Revelation 5, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And man, of all the moments in church history, that is one that I would so love to be there for and see this incredibly stirring moment. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Now, if I could invite you to come to our website, thebiblereadingpodcast.com, you will find there that I have embedded a video, which you can also find on YouTube, so you don't necessarily have to come to the site if you just don't want to. But it's a, a video of a song by an, a Christian artist named Matt Papa, one of my favorite. The song is called The Reward of His Suffering. Go to BibleReadingPodcast.com or go to YouTube, stop what you're doing, even pause the podcast and go watch that song. It's so stirring, it will make you want to become a missionary right now, and maybe it should. Matt Papa, The Reward of His Suffering. You can find it on YouTube, or you can find it at BibleReadingPodcast.com. Well, let's continue the passage we already talked about, but didn't read. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa, Israel's king Bashah went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to keep anyone from leaving or coming to King Asa of Judah. So Asa brought out the silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and sent it to Aram's king Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying, There's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Israel's king Bashah so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies to the cities of Israel. They attacked Ajon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. When Bashah heard about it, he he quit building Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timbers of Bashah had built it with. Then he built Geba and Mizpah with them. At that time, the seer Hanani came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from you. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You have been foolish in this matter, therefore you will have wars from now on. Asa was enraged with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this, and Asa mistreated some of the people at that time. 
Note that the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a disease in his feet, and his disease became increasingly severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but only the physicians. Asa rested with his ancestors. He died in the 41st year of his reign. He was buried in his own tomb that he had made for himself in the city of David. They laid him out in a coffin that was full of spices and various mixtures of prepared ointments. Then they made a great fire in his honor. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors, so tell the people, this is what the Lord of Armies says, return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies, and I will return to you, says the Lord of Armies. Do not be like your ancestors, the earlier prophets proclaimed to them. This is what the Lord of Armies says, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now, and do the prophets live forever? But didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? So the people repented and said, As the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. I looked out in the night and saw a man riding a chestnut horse. He was standing among the the myrtle trees in the valley. Behind him were chestnut, brown, and white horses. And I asked, What are these, my lord? And the angel who was talking to me replied, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. They reported to the angel of the Lord standing among the myrtle trees, We have patrolled the earth, and right now the whole earth is calm and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord responded, How long, Lord of armies, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that you have been angry with these seventy years? The Lord replied with kind and comforting words to the angel who was speaking with me. So the angel who was speaking with me said, Proclaim, the Lord of armies says, I am extremely jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I am fiercely angry with the nations that are at ease, for I was a little angry, but they made the destruction worse. Therefore, This is what the Lord says, In mercy I have returned to Jerusalem. My house will be rebuilt within it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and a measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. Proclaim further, This is what the Lord of armies says, My cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will once more comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up and saw four horns, so I asked the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, What are they coming to do? And he replied, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so no one could raise his head. These craftsmen have come to terrify them, to cut off the horns of the nations that raised a horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. John chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed of what he said, and they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, since he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my son dies. Go, Jesus told him, Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive, and he asked them at what time he got better. 
Yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live, so he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Well, amen. Friends, may you believe on the one the Lord has sent, Jesus, the Son, and the King of Kings. Good day to you, and Godspeed.